0: Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women with Gemma Serenity. Today, coming from the UK, we have Deb Morgan. She is a real relationships expert. She is a professional coach, author, podcaster, and global speaker. Her vision is to help liberate women to break through the bondage of their past, to remove the masks of fear and shame that keep them hidden shackled and often playing small. Her clients live a life of unconditional love, abundance and happiness by creating strong, healthy and robust relationships. Her overriding mission is to reduce the prevalence of domestic abuse globally. Deb comes from a place of knowing through bravely overcoming personal experiences. Her toolkit of professional qualifications 25 plus years ethnographical research into domestic abuse and the sex industry, combined with her psychology and drama training, underpin her expert knowledge to transform lives. Deb is both hugely motivating and inspiring. Now, today's topic is how the sex industry saved my life. Deb, without further ado, (laughs) This is probably one of the most intriguing titles that we are going to listen to, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. (laughs) So let's get started by um, introducing you a little bit. Can you just give us an overview? No need to go into details, but... I mean, when I introduce myself, I just say, okay, I'm victorious over 15 years of domestic violence, beaten, put down and raped, because it gives an idea of what kind of domestic abuse mm-hmm. I am acquainted with, sadly so, but factually. So
1: mm, exactly.
0: Um, I'm not asking you to do that, it's that short, but <laughs> 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 but um,
1: can you just maybe run us through a little bit of your life? Certainly. I mean, my I suppose my background, most of my adult life, I've been in abusive relationships. My first relationship, I met my first husband when I was 14. We got married when I was 20. He beat me up for the first time on our wedding night, which was a little bit of a shock to say the least. Um, I stayed within that marriage for some time, as many victims of abuse do. They stay within their relationship for quite a while until they pluck up the courage to leave. And from there, it was a while, but then I went on and married my kickboxing instructor. And the irony that I married my kickboxing instructor after being married to somebody who was physically and sexually abusive, isn't lost on me. What I didn't realize was that my kickboxing instructor whilst not physically or sexually abusive was actually quite psychologically abusive. And that was very, very damaging for me Um, from there. When I realized that there was an issue there, I left him and the psychological abuse meant I left my son with him as well. So in the eyes of the law in the UK at the time, because I'd left my son there, I'd actually voluntarily given up my right to be my son's primary carer. So I then entered a 10 year legal battle to become recognized not just as his primary carer, but because as his his mum as well. Because his dad was telling the authorities I died and didn't exist. He'd even told my son's school that I was dead. And the school thought my son had some major psychological problems around grief um, because he wasn't accepting that mum was dead when he'd go into school and say, I had a lovely weekend with my mum because he was actually with me every weekend. So I had that to contend with. During the course of that separation, that legal battle, I grew and grew a very successful business which became insolvent overnight and I ended up having to close my business make my team redundant with immediate effect and no pay and take myself through personal bankruptcy as well unbeknown to me my ex-husband had actually sabotaged that business from within it was a business we'd started or I'd started when we were married he had worked alongside me so I was contending with that as well and I decided I was going to take my own life because it was just too much. You know, my second marriage had failed. My business had failed. As far as I was concerned, I'd failed as a mum. I'd failed financially because I was bankrupt. And I decided it was gonna be better for everybody if I wasn't here. And I'm glad to say I failed. But at the time, that was just another failure to add to a very long list of perceived failures. And I didn't know what to do next. I had nowhere else to go, nowhere to turn. I was in desperate need of money. Um, I couldn't get a job. Everybody I was applying to jobs for jobs to were saying to me, well, we know you can do the job, but you've been self-employed for so long. You're not going to stay here longer than six months. So actually, we want somebody who knows going to stay for a lot longer. So I'm sorry. Whilst we know you can do the job, we're not hiring you. And that happened time and time again. So. My self-esteem and self-worth were really, really low. I often say it was sort of six foot under at that point. And I got to the stage I was self-medicating with Chardonnay, which was my drug of choice at the time. I wasn't eating healthily, but I was desperately looking for love. I just wanted to be loved. I had so much love to give. I wanted to share that with somebody and I wanted somebody to love me. And I was going out and I was having one night stands, I was meeting really sort of the wrong people, the wrong types of people, quite often putting myself in danger as well. And the night I failed to take my own life, I thought, well, you've got nothing else for it. You're giving it away anyway. You might as well start charging for it. And I set myself up as an independent escort and joined the sex industry. Now. For most people, that's the lowest of the low. And you could say in that moment in time, it was the lowest of the low. But what it did for me, and this is with hindsight, and I was aware of it as I was working in the industry, is that it actually started to build up my confidence, my self-worth and my self-esteem, which aren't side effects you would expect from working in the sex industry and I realized when I left that industry having fallen in love with a client in a classic pretty woman moment that actually joining the sex industry to save my life because it gave me some confidence back it gave me some independence and what it did bizarrely was make me realise that there were men out there who respected me because it wasn't about the sex, actually. The sex was a very, very small part of our transaction, our time together. The rest of the time was spent talking. A lot of it was spent counselling, coaching, use whatever term you like, but helping the men who were my clients to work out issues in the workplace, work out issues within their marriages and relationships. And that was the part I really loved. But these men then would contact me and over time want to spend time with me to help them on their relationships, on their businesses, rather than the sex. Now, whether that's because I was so rubbish at it, I don't know, or whether it's because I just asked them so many questions. Um, I always maintain I was the world's worst escort because I used to ask so many questions and that's what led me then to study psychology and led me on the path that I'm now on that brings me here today. But to go back to when I left the industry, classic pretty woman moment, I fell in love with a client, he fell in love with me, but he turned out to be my third abusive relationship and he was economically abusive. So, by the time he and I split up, I had spent the best part of 25, it actually was 28 years in total, in abusive relationships. That's a long time to be abused, (laughs) you know, a long, long time. And what was happening, because they were all impacting on my mental health, on my self esteem, and my self worth, I was putting myself in situations that further impacted on my self-worth, my self-esteem and self-confidence. So I was then involved in this never-ending circle and cycle where I was putting myself in a place to be abused. Now, that's not to say the abuser or, or the victim, rather, is to blame. The victim is never to blame. But if you've ever studied the cycle of abuse and any of the models of abuse, you will understand that victims of abuse keep themselves in abusive relationships because actually it's safer than not being there. They know what they are dealing with, they know what they are handling, or even though it's not good for them, they know how to handle it. Totally correct. You know, the fear of leaving comes from what will he or she do to me when I've left, when you've had the audacity to leave. That is when it's that moment when you've just left them that you are at your most vulnerable, which is what keeps most people in abusive relationships. So you've got that aspect of it. But also. Abusive relationships became my norm. I didn't know how to have a a relationship, an adult relationship that wasn't abusive in some way, shape or form. So the belief within me that formed was all adult relationships are abusive. So every relationship I then went into, if there was the slightest bit of abuse, it was my comfort zone. Crazy as that sounds, it was my comfort zone. And it was only when I entered the relationship I'm in now, which I've now been in for nine years, that I learned what an unconditionally loving relationship was. I was 42 years old. That's a long, long time to wait to have your first truly loving relationship. But the hardest bit about that was learning how to be loved unconditionally. I know how to receive. The first, mm, yeah, that's first a hard one. two years of this relationship was so, so difficult. And I did everything I could to pretty much make him abuse me. Yeah. Because I couldn't accept that he just loved me for who I am, yeah. what I am, and wanted to love me for me. And I can remember it was around the two year mark. And he sat me down and he said, look, I love you for who you are. I love you unconditionally. And I am not going anywhere. If anybody breaks this relationship, it's going to be you. So you can throw anything you like at me metaphorically. And I'm not going anywhere. The choice is yours. And to this day, I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, okay, now what do I do? And I realized I had to change myself. I had to change my behavior. I had to change my expectations of relationships. And I had to change my beliefs about relationships. And that was so difficult. So, so difficult to do. And I, I remember feeling completely out of my depth. You know, Imagine starting a new job or go into a new university or a new school or move into a new town or a new country and you don't know where anything is. You don't know who anyone is and you feel lost, scared, alone that's exactly how I felt within the safest relationship I've ever been in in my life and so I had to really take myself in hand and think okay when have I felt like this before as an adult as a child I was always very happy very secure very safe so as an adult when have I ever felt like this before and don't get me wrong I had had minor relationships sort of between my marriages that were good but because they weren't what I was expecting because they weren't abusive I didn't know how to handle them I thought they were odd so of course those relationships were very short lived and I went and found a relationship I was comfortable in which was abusive so I had to think back to a time where I felt safe where I felt confident where I felt that I had high self-esteem, high self-worth. And that time was the sex industry. And bizarrely within that industry, in order to actually carry it off in the first instance, I had to become a character. So I drew upon my drama training, which I'd had many years of and became a character, but pretty much a caricature of myself because I recognized that within that industry, The people I was going to be working with were going to see me at my most vulnerable. You know, ultimately, they were seeing me naked and I was seeing them naked at our most vulnerable. So there had to be a lot of myself within that character. But it still had to be the person I aspired to be, the person I could be when I was at my absolute best. So I spent a lot of time acting as if. And you hear lots of coaches saying that. And it's not something I particularly buy into for the long term because it can cause more damage than good. But sometimes to get you to move beyond your comfort zone, that's what you need to do. So, in this relationship I was in, I had to start channeling all of the good bits that that I'd created in that character and I'd given that character. And every time I felt nervous or scared. I would say, okay, what would she do? And I take a deep breath and I pull myself up to my full five foot four inches. I say, okay, I can do this. And just almost do whatever I needed to do, say whatever I needed to say without overthinking it. And over time, it became more comfortable. Over time, I didn't have to get myself into the zone as much. And I could allow more of me to come out naturally, rather than as a character. And gradually we learned how to be in a relationship together, myself and my partner, because he would say to me, why are you acting like that? You're just way over the top. Because he recognized when I was putting on this character he said I know it's you but it's it's like you're on speed or something I mean I've never done speed or anything like that but it's it's like you've taken drugs you're really sort of hyper because I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't but to get myself over this massive obstacle obstacle of how to be me in a relationship And feel safe when I was doing it because the times that I'd allowed myself to be me of course I'd been abused so I had to protect myself you know there's is it any surprise I went on and studied psychology the brain is a marvellous tool but boy can it mess us up as well (laughs) (laughs)
0: yes definitely
1: So all of that was, it was just completely mixed up. It was crazy. And when I recognized that this was happening and thank goodness, I mean, he had so much patience and just let me deal with whatever I had to deal with and go through whatever I needed to go through in terms of healing. So He supported me when I had lots of counseling, lots of therapy, different coaching, of different modalities, until I was able to sort of say, okay, now I can cope with this. Now I understand what happened to me. Now I understand why it happened to me. Now I understand my own reactions and responses. And actually now I can start to shed all of the things that aren't me, because I don't need to build that barrier around myself anymore. I can allow myself to come out because now I know how to look after myself. Now I know how to be completely open and honest whilst keeping boundaries in place, whilst feeling safe and secure, whilst remaining quite powerful and in control, without giving any of that away to somebody else. And when I learned how to do that, and was able to adapt it and create my own coaching program from it. That's when I knew I had completely healed. But I also recognized that all of that started when I started working in the sex industry. That's what started me on the path to where I am now, those were all the qualities, all the values I brought into play when I was working in that environment, strange as it may sound. So I could link back to them and draw on the good. And I'm not here to glamorize the sex industry, but like any other industry, there is both good and bad in it. The media prefers to focus on the bad because socially, we have been conditioned to believe that the sex industry is bad. My belief is it is actually just a service industry. And I had so many of my preconceptions shattered when I worked within the industry. And for me, it completely changed my life. It saved my life, as I said. So that's why I say it totally saved my life because I would not be here today without it.
0: Mm -hmm. Dev, I mean, your story is riveting. Listening and understanding the ups and downs of what you have gone through, how you have transformed, how you have used the things around you, how you have shifted, how you have healed, how you help others, all in one go. I mean, wow. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: Yeah, both hugely motivating and inspiring. You can hear the crowd cheering you up. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Thank you. Oh my God. I do understand with your story now, why the sex industry actually saved your life, drawing, the courage you have to muster and the character you have to build to be able to serve your clients in this industry, and then drawing onto that inner strength and inner confidence to then bring that in your daily life of after that period, I mean, wonderful, wonderful. And basically in your, in your story, you answered all my questions. <laughs> so it's like, okay, it's hard to create another one like on the spot. <laughs> but yeah, it really, really, really helped. And um, yeah, I didn't know that at the end of the day, it's a huge relationship building and coaching building um, relationship that you create with your
1: clients in that specific industry. I didn't know that. No, and you know, everybody is different. So mm-hmm. I can only speak from my own experience. I'm yes. not part to other people's experiences of the sex industry, other than conversations I've had with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But for me, and it's like any business, you, you pitch your business to a specific clientele. Yes. I knew the sorts of clients I wanted to work with. Oh. So I, just like when I'd set up my previous business, I worked out who I wanted to work with, what I was going to offer, how much it was going to cost, how much they were going to have to pay for it. When I was going to work, how often I would need to work to hit my targets. I'd set myself targets. Um, so. I absolutely knew the kind of person that I was going to end up working with. And I recognized that actually a lot of the time they were going to be feeling more vulnerable than I was. Yes. And that was actually very powerful. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I learned through meeting them is how respectful they were because As a a result of working in that industry, I created what I call the SIM methodology for my coaching. It's the sex industry model. I apply it not just to my coaching, but to my business as well, because what it taught me was so much about business, but so much about people. Mm -hmm. And when I say my clients respected me and that that was a surprise, that was one of the biggest surprises to me. But if you say no to somebody in the sex industry, that's just accepted. They take it as no. Forget about different genres within the industry and safe words and all of that, although you have those as well. But you know, this is the boundary, overstep the mark, you're out. So if somebody will ask you, well, will you do this? Because different people have different proclivities. And you say, no, I don't. He's, okay, thank you very much. And they go and find somebody else that was able to deliver the service they wanted, Mm -hmm. whereas in business, we tend to say, "Oh no, I don't, but I could do." That's that's human nature. We want to take all the business. Yes. So then we end up taking a client on, who we try and muddle our way through the work. They're not satisfied. We know we haven't done a good job, but we're happy because we've got a client and we've been paid. But that client then goes off and tells everybody oh you don't want to work with that person because they can't deliver on this so you get a bad reputation it's mm-hmm. the sex industry say, no I don't do that but find somebody else that does okay thanks very much they go there's no hard feelings but they will come back to you when they want the service you provide mm-hmm. likewise they'll say how much is it for for an hour you tell them oh well do you offer discounts no I don't offer discounts that's the price If you're not prepared to pay that price, go and find somebody else within your price bracket. Okay, thanks very much. And they'll either work with you or they won't. Equally, you get paid up front. They're buying your time. What you choose to do in that time is irrelevant. So you always get paid. The rules that I have quite a lot of rules for my clients. If they, I wouldn't see anybody who smoked. So if I could smell smoke on them, they weren't allowed in. They still had to pay me, but they weren't allowed in. Um, they couldn't just turn up. I had to have telephone numbers and contact details for them. I mean, Don't get me wrong, everybody was called John or Mike, but I had to have a name and I had to have a contact telephone number that was theirs. They also knew that at the end of a session, an alarm would ring. And if I didn't send a text to the minders that I had put in place, within five minutes of the end of the session, there would be people knocking on my door to make sure I was safe. And this, this, I wasn't pimped out. These are people that I had put in place through the contacts I had made in the industry. We all worked together to look after each other. So I was far safer than any one night stand I'd ever had. Now, I knew who the people were. I had their telephone numbers. I knew where they were going to be between what times I had people on standby ready to come and rescue me or help me if they didn't hear from me within an allotted time. And I could choose whether or not to work with that client again. And all of these rules, if you like, were laid out before the client even booked a session with me. And I recognized that, if I could have that much self-respect for myself in that environment, why can't I carry that into other environments, namely other relationships, the workplace? And why can't I expect to have adherence to my rules back? As I had from my clients in the sex industry who respected those were my rules, those were the terms. And if they didn't like them, they went to find somebody else who would work within terms that they would they liked. So there were lots and lots of lessons from that industry. And I always joke, if you want great sex, don't work in the sex industry. And that's, you know, that's a bit of a joke, really, because I learned a lot about sex. Of course. But that's that wasn't my takeaways. It's not an industry I want to go back into. It was fun while I was in it. I learned a lot. I've got goodness knows how many different stories to tell. But I'm not interested in that. For me, the learning came from the human stories, Mm. the service side of that industry. Um, You know, I, I had clients who had been injured in Afghanistan by a roadside bomb. And he just wanted to be able to get an erection to make love to his wife. And he and his wife had found me and contacted me and said, do you have any tricks that you could use to help us make love? Now, the reality is he just needed his confidence back. There were no tricks. So I I basically gave him a coaching session. It was just delivered in the nude. I don't do that. Obviously, In today I don't deliver any coaching sessions in the nude, but that's all it was. He needed help building his confidence. We had two sessions where there was absolutely no sex. We just sat and talked to each other naked. That was it. Maybe, maybe that's a niche I should offer. No, maybe not. I wouldn't do that to anybody. Um, but after two sessions, he telephoned me. And said, I am so grateful I was able to make love to my wife last night. He didn't think it was possible because his injuries had affected the lower half of his body. He absolutely didn't believe he'd be able to make love to his wife anymore. But actually, it was confidence that he needed. I had another client who had been blind from birth, had met somebody online, a blind lady online, and contacted me. I mean, how you meet a blind person online when you're blind, I don't know, but they have amazing adapted computers and keyboards and all sorts of things. It was incredible, but contacted me. He said, I've never seen or rather felt a female body. Can you help me? Because I want to be able to meet this woman and have a normal relationship with her, but I don't know what I'm doing because I don't know what a female body feels like or looks like. Oh so he wanted to stand there and just feel my body. And it was things like that that made me think, wow, yes, how do these people maintain normal relationships if this sort of service isn't available to them? Now, now I don't offer anything like that sort of service in the coaching I do now on relationships. <laughs> Let me just get that very, very clear.
0: Very clear boundaries.
1: <laughs> exactly, but it made me realize that the sex industry is so much more than delivering the proclivities of the dirty old man in the flasher mac that we all think uses the services of the sex industry and there are so many other examples i could give but those are two that really always come to mind because those were the two that made me stand up and say wow this is so much more than just sex this is absolutely service this is helping people um and for me that's what helped to change my preconceptions of the sex industry and the conversations I had with so many of my clients many even now I recall some of those conversations and I I wonder how did that client's business end up going how did that issue go with that member of staff How, how did that client Sort things out with his wife, and nearly all of them were married, and all of them loved their wives, and they didn't want to have an affair because that meant they were having to engage emotionally, where where they were engaging physically, it was just a business transaction, and that's how they saw it. And you know, I I could talk for hours as to the lessons I learned from working within that industry, and the lessons that I bring into my own life, bring into my own coaching to enable me to be a better wife, partner, lover, a better mother, a better business owner, a better coach. So much from that industry shapes what I do now and how I do it, that I don't think I would be half as good, a coach, a wife or partner, we're not married, um, a mother, a daughter, a sister, if I hadn't had those experiences because I needed I needed to go through the level of change that that brought about in me to be able to move on to be able to heal properly and to be able to really just accumulate and consolidate all of that learning the learning not just from the industry but my abusive relationships and to recognize why. Why do people treat people the way they do in relationships? I don't believe anybody goes into a relationship with the intention of hurting the other person. So what's going on? And those were the questions that led me to study psychology. They're the questions that led me to go into relationships coaching. And they're the questions that continue to drive me forward and move me forward because I believe by educating people to create strong, healthy, and robust relationships, that's how we reduce the prevalence of domestic abuse worldwide. And it's a massive mission. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. But if I can start helping people to have their perceptions changed in the way I had mine changed by something that I really didn't think I was going to shift perception on, then actually, future generations have a really strong chance of creating those strong, healthy and robust relationships that we all deserve. And that when you're in them, they change your life. They really do change your life. And you know what it is to just go through life as yourself, loving yourself, loving who you are, no matter how many pounds extra weight you're carrying, no matter whether you've got your gray roots showing as I have today, whether you're wearing makeup or not, whether you're wearing the right clothes or friends with the right people or go into the right bars, when you know that you are accepted absolutely for who you are, for all your idiosyncrasies and foibles, then you, you are capable of achieving so, so much. And that I'm full of so much gratitude for all I have been through, because without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. The relationship I'm in today wouldn't be as strong as it is because I wouldn't recognize what an incredible relationship I have. Even when we are arguing with each other, there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. That's something made up by Disney and Hollywood to sell sell films, but our relationship is perfect for us your relationship would be perfect for you we argue like you know like other people do we argue over whose turn it is to put the bins out we argue over whose turn it is to get out of bed first and make a cup of tea in the morning or where we're going to go for dinner because we're fed up of going to the same restaurant all the time you know we have those silly little arguments and niggles that every other couple has we're human beings and we lose our patience with each other and we get fed up and there are times he wants to go out but i want to stay in and vice versa there are times where i wish he really wouldn't leave his socks on the floor and just put them in the laundry basket you know we all have those things about our partner that wind us up it's normal but when we can just think oh right that's okay this small stuff doesn't have to mean we're incompatible it doesn't have to mean our relationship is on the rocks we it's okay it's healthy to argue or discuss we, we don't shout at each other we, we 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 have discussions you know when you're in an unconditionally loving relationship you can talk about the stuff that really annoys you without it becoming a heated dispute and you know you can have that conversation it can be a lively debate that's you know we have lively debates we don't argue with such we have lively debates it can be it can be very lively but you know that neither of you are gonna wake up the following morning holding that grudge and still angry with the other one because it's just, okay, it's happened. That's their, that's his opinion. That's my opinion. We'll agree 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 to to disagree. disagree. Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) This is what my husband, Sasha, taught me. Let's agree to disagree. Is that really that important? Is that still going to matter so much tomorrow? and the day after, and in one month? Okay, if yes, yeah, we really have to find an agreement. But if no, what if you prefer red, I prefer blue? Exactly. All right,
1: well, let's have two, one red and one blue, everybody's happy. My partner loves thrash metal music. I love jazz. You can't get much further apart (laughs) than that. Then you offer
0: both a silent headphone and everybody listens his
1: or her own music and together in the same house. That's a great idea. But what we do, we'll, we'll have evenings perhaps where we'll sit down and watch YouTube and he'll, he'll put some thrash metal on and that, to me it's just noise. But he'll explain to me why he loves it so much and he's a drummer so he likes all those technicalities. So he'll say, look at this, this is so this technique is so difficult or it's so impressive. So I've learned to appreciate it more. It's not music I would put on out of choice, but now I appreciate it because I listened to what it was that excites him about it. Equally, he doesn't like jazz. He won't choose to put jazz on, but he will listen to me when I say, can you hear the different the light and shade in this music and doesn't it take you off Because jazz just transforms me to bars in Paris that's where it always takes me smoky bars in Paris or Covent Garden in London and I, I'm there I'm in the moment and he loves that I can get so caught up in that so he appreciates that because he loves how I love it and that's one of the key things we don't all have to like the same things as you've just said you can like blue he can like red We don't have to love it. But when we understand and appreciate why our partner loves something that we don't, actually, we learn to love it just a little bit because it's part of them and it's what they love and it's what makes them interesting. Because if we all like the same things, the conversation would get really boring. After a while, yes. You know, and conversation and communication is definitely the absolute key every relationship i hate to sound like a cliched relationship coach but it is communication six. communication communication mm-hmm. so so important then
0: i'm also grateful to have been able to listen to you to give you the platform so that you keep on on really sharing your values your wisdom your experience how to make the world a better place how to reduce the prevalence of domestic abuse globally i mean by understanding that it's all a question of within before being a question of without Mm -hmm. this is when the world changes
1: Absolutely, and
0: this is exactly what I started to say when I when when I explain what I do and why I do it. It's the vision and the mission, and I'm really like, yeah, I'm changing one person at a time from within. Therefore, I'm making the world a better place.
1: Exactly,
0: and that's and you don't
1: one person at a time.
0: Exactly, Mm -hmm. and you don't know who is going to click when and where, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. Someone at some point. So please, the audience, when you feel that you are so happy about this conversation, you give us a feedback. Otherwise, we just don't know that we are succeeding with you. All right? Definitely. <laughs> okay. So, how to get a hold of you, Deb? I'm going to put everything in the description, but already for those who listen.
1: OK, well, you can get hold of me on social media. Just look for Deb Morgan Coach. Okay, You'll find me as Deb Morgan Coach on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm even on Pinterest, although I don't really get Pinterest and don't do a lot there. So if you do find me there, you won't find me very active. So stick to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn or Twitter, Deb Morgan Coach. And look for Deb Morgan with the red hair, long red hair. You've got me there. And my website, which is www.deb-morgan.com. All right. Deb-morgan.com. That's
0: easy. Everybody can remember that. Mm-hmm. All right. And you have your podcast as well, which I was I listening well. to before recording
1: this one. <laughs> <laughs> and my podcast is called The Real Relationships Show. Okay. So if anybody would like to listen to that, you might guess it's all about real relationships. There are solo episodes. There are incredible interviews with amazing people about their real relationships. Okay,
0: thank you so, so much. And I really definitely look forward to talking with you again and to continue this great relationship with you.
1: Thank you so much, Gemma. It's been a pleasure being
0: here. Thank you. Bye bye for now.